I try to pull together, I'm going to try to preach in it. Bless you. It's good, brother. Don't matter what, what we say, one thing I know is that the Spirit of the Lord's moving. Yeah. People can be saved. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, man, I need to be saved. Well, be saved. Amen. Call upon the name of the Lord. Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Amen. Trust Him. Trust Him. I, uh, I'm nervous this morning. Man, I've been nervous all week. Uh, and as I, I, we talked about it last week, and as I said last week, I'm going to try to start today, and we're going to work our way through 1 Corinthians. And I want... I want to tell you all how much I appreciate the different people throughout the week who took a few minutes to encourage me. Um, they, whether it's in person or text or message or whatever, let me know they've been praying for me and that they were excited about digging into the book. That meant a lot to me. Because uh, it's different for me and it, and it helps to know that everybody's okay. Uh, and that I'm not, you know, not disappointing nobody or whatever the case may be. And so I just want you to know this morning to stand that I love you very much, and I'm thankful for this church, uh, I'm thankful for the Word of God, I'm thankful for the Spirit of God, it helps us to understand the Word of God, and so you pray for me as we go through this, because no doubt there'll be, I don't believe it'll be today, but uh, no doubt there'll be some challenges for us as we dig into 1 Corinthians, and uh, particularly uh, for me, as I have to stand and read those things that might be challenging, and so... You pray for me during that. I, listen, I believe that there are things in this Bible that are rarely preached, Amen. rarely discussed, and it's because people just like me don't always like it. Yep. Uh, they don't always want to obey it, or they don't always want to try to understand it. It doesn't make us comfortable all the time. In fact, there's a lot of things in this Bible that make us uncomfortable. Would you say amen to that? Amen. There are things that make us uncomfortable in here, but let me show you something about God's Word this morning, and I, I, I believe this. God didn't give us His Word to make us miserable. Amen. God knows better than anyone what leads to real peace and real joy. God wants us to be able to abide in His love. That word abide means something. It means to be stable, to be fixed in something. God wants us to be able to abide, to be fixed and stable in the love that He has for us. Uh, a scripture came to mind. We're going to Corinthians, but I'm going to read out of John just for a second. But a scripture came to mind in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. Jesus was talking. He said, and, and, and listen, there's great comfort in this scripture. Just look at that first part. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Man, that's amazing. We take it for granted. We're so used to it, and we're so used to hearing about it. But what an amazing thing to think like the Father, as much as the Father loved the Son, He loves us. And he encourages us. He says, just abide in my love. Just be fixed. Be stable in that love that I have for you. And then he tells us how to do that. He said, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. He's not saying if you break my commandments, I'll stop loving you. 
He's saying, if you keep my commandments, you'll remain stable and fixed in my love. That's where he wants us to be. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Amen. Nothing can. But if you want to abide, if you want to be fixed and stable in that love, you need to keep his commandments. Yes. Amen. He said, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide and am fixed and stable in his love. Now look what else he goes on to say. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. What a Savior. Who doesn't just want us to be saved. He doesn't just want us to be in. He wants us to have fullness of joy. To experience His love. To abide in that love. That is a spectacular promise. That if we keep the commandments of God, we will remain fixed and stable in the love of the Savior. And that our joy can be full. Hold on to that promise as we read through Corinthians. Because there's going to be things that you're going to be tempted when we approach certain sections and certain topics throughout this book. You'll be very tempted to feel upset about them. They may feel personal to you. Sometimes when, when God speaks to me, when I get in the Word of God and I read something... It can feel very personal. It can hurt. Amen. But God, God chastens those that He loves. Yeah. Not so He can make us miserable, but so that we can abide in His love and our joy can be full. Yeah. Now no chastening, I don't have this scripture up there, but no chastening is good for the moment. Nobody likes it when they're going through that. But afterward, the Bible says it yields a peaceable fruit. I like that, don't you? Amen. That we know that when God is working in us and showing us things about ourselves that need to be chiseled away, that behind, behind the hurt and the pain of what He's saying and, and maybe the frustration that we feel uh, that happened to hear that we're not living right or doing right or thinking right about something, behind that, God is working in us a fruit of peace and joy yeah. and love. Yeah. And I believe those are things we all want. Just remember, as you go through that, remember that promise. And remember that, listen, the, the, the narrow and straight road is the road that leads to life. There's a broad road that a lot of people are walking on. It does not lead to life. But there is a narrow road, a straight road that does. Amen? Now, I'm just prefacing for you. I'm just giving you some... some uh, I'm, I'm really pimping myself up. I'm giving myself a pep talk. So you just have to... Endure this part with me. These are the things that I've worried about, right? That some folks will be upset or get mad over certain things or that. And these are things I have to work through. Right? You, you may also find that it's slower paced. And you want that fire-fueled sermon. You want that excitement. And I understand that. I like that too. But I don't want us to, con to, to confuse emotion for spirit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Amen. Amen. But I love good hard preaching. I love good loud. I like to see a preacher get excited about, passionate about what, he, what he's talking about. But don't confuse it. Just because you're loud or passionate or full of 
emotion doesn't mean the spirit feel. There is no emotion that is more spiritual than the words of life written in this book. And so while it may seem slower as we go through this, the words in this book, not just 1 Corinthians, in this whole Bible is written for us. That we may know God and we may know how He wants us to live for Him. That we may experience and abide in His love and that our joy may remain full. These words in this book are worth more than all the money in the world. I wouldn't trade one of them for all the money. Now, one other quick thing, and I'll try to get off with this. This is the hardest part for me. And it may be a hard thing for you, but as we go through and read these scriptures, I want you to read them like you're reading them for the first time. And I found that to be very difficult as I tried to study this out. I don't want you to read them. Now listen to me. This is an important part if we're going to get anything out of this. I don't want you to read these scriptures and try to fit them into your already established belief system. Don't do that. I want you to read them and let them shape your belief system. Don't, don't try to squeeze it. We do that sometimes. We approach the Scripture wanting the Scripture to justify what we already believe. Amen. But what we have to do is approach the Scripture and, want, and, and, and let that Scripture change our position or give us the position that we need to believe. Yeah. Don't approach it with your mind made up. Approach it with a heart that says, I want to know exactly what the Spirit of God is telling me in this Scripture. Not with the mindset, okay? Not with the mindset of, well, I'm a brethren, or I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Pentecostal, or I'm a whatever, a Methodist, or a Presbyterian, and so this is what I believe. Approach it with the mindset of, I'm a child of God, and I want to believe His Word. Amen. I want to believe it. His. I want to believe in His truth. I want to believe in His way. The reality is, is that whether it's Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, Presbyterian, Brethren, or whoever, that those people can be wrong. Right. God's word is not wrong. Amen. So I want to go God's way. And we'll need God's grace to understand it. Amen. And if you can say amen to that, if you can say, I'll approach these scriptures with an open mind to hear what God is trying to speak and not bring my bias into it, then I believe that God's going to do amazing things as we study this book together, okay? First Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to open there. Let me give you some background about the Corinthian church before we start to read. Okay, the city of Corinth and not to bore you. Okay, but, but I told you to be slower and you're just going to have to, we're just going to have to go through it. Um, I'd like to be preaching up in a big storm too, but this is what we're going to do. The city of Corinth was a port city. It, was a, it had a very diverse population of people. It was the third largest city at that time. It had over 26 different pagan and cult temples that were located in the city. It was a very wealthy city. Very wealthy. And all the who's who's 
of Greek philosophers and pagan priests and cult leaders and, and, and all the, 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 the popular people in the time found themselves to be in Corinth. And, and somebody every day was in the streets of Corinth. And you can go back and read the historians who wrote. They were always out in the streets spewing their philosophies. Talking about what they thought was their version of truth. Corinth was also a very sexually charged city. They had the temple there of Aphrodite there. She, she had, a, they had a temple and a statue built for her. So they were wealth obsessed. They were sex and pleasure obsessed. <coughs> Ring any bells? Yep. Sounds a lot like our culture, doesn't it? Yeah. They had a, a way about them. All these different people and religions all mixed into one place. Now the church that was at Corinth was founded by Paul in Acts chapter 18. You can go back and read about it there. I'm not going to read that to you. But it was founded by Paul in the church. It was predominantly Gentiles, but it had Jews in it as well, along with wealthy people, poor people, and a lot of people with pagan backgrounds. So they had all these different people with various philosophies and backgrounds and practices and traditions and all these things, and they were trying to bring all that together in the church, and unfortunately, it was a struggle. A big struggle. They were divided in what they believed. They were divided in how they acted. They were divided in how they fellowshiped and how they worshiped. They were really divided in practically every way. It, this church was a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> they, had, they had developed factions and cliques and, and they had all these things going on. There was a lack of genuine unity. The church was not healthy. It was not a healthy church. And so someone from the household of Chloe sent Paul a message and told him what was happening. And they sent Paul a list of questions that they had. Paul had left Corinth after he the church started and Apollos had become the pastor there. And so now that they were they were sending Paul a message and saying things are going south, right? There's some, we've got some problems. And, and they were asking a bunch of questions and, and, and 1 Corinthians is Paul's response to that letter from the household of Chloe. So we got a church with a lot of problems in the midst of a very wicked, corrupt culture. And that's where Corinthians is. Now let's look at Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is how he starts out. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost every letter in the Bible begins with a reading like this, so it's easy to pass by quickly and not see much meaning in it. But when you slow down and read these greetings, usually these greetings have an important message. They set the tone for the whole letter. 
So let's just look at it really quickly. And I won't be doing this through every verse where we stop and talk one verse at a time. We'll start taking bigger bites, but this was important. Verse 1 says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Why did he introduce himself that way? Was he wanting accolades? Was he bragging? No. There were some there who was questioning Paul's apostleship. So he comes right out of the gate and this is what he says. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Amen. I absolutely am. Which means that he wanted them to understand that he was qualified to set these things straight in the church that needed to be set straight because he was not an apostle called by Peter. He was not an apostle called by any man. He was an apostle of Christ called because it was the will of God. Do you remember when Paul was saved and on the Damascus road that Christ came down and blinded his eyes and, 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 and spoke to him and he said, Thou art a chosen vessel unto me. What was he chosen for? To be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Because that was the will of God. So he's setting, right, he's setting the tone from the start. I have the authority to speak about these issues to you. Then he says this in verse 2. To the church of God. Now that may seem small. But it's very important. Because what he didn't say is to the church of Corinth. He said to the church of God which is at Corinth. Because here's the reality. And this is what we all need to hear. This wasn't Paul's church. And this wasn't the Corinthians church. This was the church that belonged to God. By the way, same here. This is not, so this is a very frequent thing. People don't mean it bad. I don't, I don't think they do and I completely understand it's easier to say it this way. But we need to be cognizant and aware when you say, well, whose church do you like? Well, I go to Bill's church. Bill don't have a church. I don't, I don't have a church. Bill is a part of the church of God in Pound River. Amen. God has a church. I don't. Also, God has a church and you don't. It's easy to begin because we look at congregational rule in a church and we say, well, we vote on things. It's easy to think, well, this is our church. Nope. This is God's church. Yeah. Not my church, not your church, God's church. Paul was saying, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. The church has always belonged to God. And when we lose that mindset, what happens is we get frustrated when our way isn't being followed. But the church isn't ours. It will always be God's to do what He wants to do with it. God is the one who purchased the church. God is the one who sustains the church. Now God calls men to shepherd the church. But they're God's people. They're not the pastor's people. They're not the elder's people. They're not the deacon's people. They're God's people. He calls people into that church 
and he leads them to a church to ensure that they are equipped and to ensure that the church is equipped with the talents and skills that it needs. Listen, I pray that each one of you realize that you're at this church for a reason. And it's not because of me. You're at this church because God worked it out in your life somehow. There's many of you sitting in here right now that three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, you would have never thought you'd be in this church. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Never thought it. Ten years ago, I didn't think I'd be in this church. But God knows what the church needs and He sends the people that He wants to be at the church. He puts them in the church, gives them the desire to be a part of the church because it equips the church with all the people that it needs to do the work He wants it to do. Amen. We have no lack in our church. And when we do have lack, God adds to the church daily such as should be saved. So you need to make sure that you're embracing that calling, right? If God brought you here, sent you here, led you here, has you here, and you didn't even know that He, what, why He had you here and what He had you here for, you need to find that purpose and fulfill that purpose. Because there's a reason why God brought you here. Now, let me move on. I know I'm bored you today. And I knew it would. But hold on. Just, just hang in. Hard for me too. Now listen, Paul clarified. Who was he writing this to? And I think it's important that we talk about this and there's two major reasons why it's super important, right? He said, to the church of God at Corinth, flip back to verse 2 if you will. To the church of God which is at Corinth. So he's writing it to the Corinthian church. Amen? Amen. He's writing it to that church but also, he says to everyone who is sanctified, who is called to be a saint, to all those in every place who call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. You see that? Now the first reason this is important is because even though they're having all these troubles, and listen, you don't, you, if you haven't read much in Corinthians, you're going to see some real troubles. There, there, there's people in this church who is sleeping with their stepmother. There, there, there are divisions of, there's people coming and, and eating, eating things sacrificed to idols and they're coming to communion because not to worship God, but because to fill their bellies. They've got all kinds of problems. I mean, they're, they're eating up. You're going to see all kinds of things. In spite of all the troubles and problems that was going on in this church, they were still recognized as children of God. He didn't say to those wicked unbelievers who call themselves a church at Corinth. He said to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ. They weren't living like they were sanctified. But he says to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus... That means that Christ was working in them even though they didn't have it all figured out. Amen. Now that should bring you some encouragement. Because we can have all kinds of problems in our church and in our personal walk with God, but God still recognizes those who are His children as His children. Amen. It doesn't change. He doesn't give up on us when we have problems. 
And every church should be thankful for that because every church has problems. Every church. Honestly, every person has problems. Take it down to the individual level. Right? Just as true as this is for the church at Korea, it's just as true in your individual lives. God doesn't give up on you when you don't live perfect. Thank God. Or we'd all be out this morning. We don't have to be saved again and again and again and again because we'd all be in trouble. Thank God He doesn't give up on us. He recognizes us as children. He knows we're imperfect. But God still loves us. He still loves the church at Corinth. He's just going to deal with their issues. Now we want a God that deals with our issues. I don't want a God that will leave me laying somewhere in sin and leave me joyless and empty and, and unsatisfied and all. I want a God who will, who will, as our sister saying, leave the 99 and come after me. Amen. Amen? Amen? Reason number two, and this is the bigger reason, this letter wasn't just to a particular church. It was written to all those who believed and who will believe. That's what he said. To all those who believe in the Lord Jesus. That's who it was written to. That means everything in the book of Corinthians is not just good doctrine for the Corinthian church. It's good doctrine for every church. Amen. It's not just good for the Corinthians and, and in that culture it's for all churches in any culture. Now this is where people get stuck. Because, that, because there's things in this book that you're going to want to say, no, that was because, I hate to say that to the Corinthians. That was because of the culture they were in. Nope. According to what he's saying here, this is to all believers. All believers, all churches, all children of God, all those who call themselves to be saints, all those who are sanctified in the Lord. This book is for all. The enemy's done a fantastic job of convincing us that there are things in this book that don't apply to us, but they do. But they do. It's what we do, guys. Listen to me. This, this is a real, a real truth for you. When it's hard, when it's uncomfortable, when it's abnormal for our culture, when it's not what we like, we say it was just for the Corinthians. When it's easy, all of a sudden it's for us all. Right? All of a sudden we say, no, wait, this must be for me. This is a promise I can hold on to. Oh, yep, here's a commandment. No, I don't want the commandment. I want the promise. The commandments for Corinthians, the promise is for me. Nope. Both the promises and the commandments are for all believers throughout all time. Amen. we got to hold on to that. The words we find in this book apply to us today just as much as it applied to the Corinthian church that received it after Paul wrote it. Now, what spirit is Paul writing the letter in? He said, in grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. Right? Yeah. Now, let's go on. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. Now we can take some bigger bites. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. 
that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul starts out a hard book by giving thanks. Now, Paul is not thankful for their division. Paul is not thankful for the problems or their sinful behaviors or their sinful attitudes. What Paul is being thankful for is for the grace that God continues to show the Corinthian church. Amen. In spite of their problems. In spite of their sinful behaviors and attitude. So he thanks God. He, he says that he, he has saved you by His grace and called you together as a body. He's given you knowledge. He's given you every gift that you need as a church to grow. He was thanking God that they had everything they needed to be the church God wanted them to be. By the way, we do too. Amen. We have everything we need here to be the church God has called us to be. Amen? Amen. Now listen to Paul's encouragement because he's getting ready to say some, some of those harsh things. So he's going to... He's, he's softening the blow with the truth a little bit. He's telling them something. because he, Now listen, he's going to call out their sins. How many of you like it when a preacher, many or any preacher... Calls out specific sins. <laughs> Do you know when the altar is least crowded? When you've preached on one specific sin. <laughs> when you paint with a broad brush, everybody's like, oh yes, I have sinned and come short. <laughs> right? But when you say, oh, and you preach a sermon on sexual sin, <clears throat> empty. <laughs> Nobody wants to say it's me. Amen? When you preach a sermon on, on other specific sins, lying, nobody wants to be the one to get up and say, yep, I admit it. I've been lying. Because nobody wants to get back in the car with their spouse and hear them say, exactly what did you lie about? I couldn't help but notice that you were at the altar today. It gets personal. But here's the reality. And it is a reality. Paul's going to get specific about their sins. About their disobedience. About their faults and their wrong beliefs. And he knows all that. But he starts out with this awesome encouragement. And I think verses 4 through 9 are a great encouragement. Because this is what he says. In verse 8, he says, God will confirm you. As his children, as heirs with Christ, all the way to the end. Amen. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He's going to confirm you all the way to the end. And on the day when you stand before God, God will see you as blameless because of Jesus. Amen. That's a good encouragement. Amen. Every church needs to know that. Amen. Every church needs to understand and to hear what Paul is saying when he says those things in verses 8 and 9. Now look, just let me read it to you again. He says, Jesus will also confirm you to the end. 
that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Why are they going to be blameless on the last day when they stand before God? Why would they be blameless? Is it because that Paul's going to correct them and they're going to start being a perfect church? Nope. Is it because they're going to work hard? Nope. Is it because of any of those things? Nope. Is it because they're going to be so faithful? Nope. As a matter of fact, they won't be any of those things. But you can underline it. Look at verse 9. Underline it in your Bible and believe it with all your heart. It's not because of their faithfulness, their works, or anything. It's because God who called them into fellowship is faithful. The reason you'll get to heaven is because God is faithful. Not because you are. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus. You've got to believe that. That should encourage you. That's what God wanted for them, was for them to be encouraged. God is faithful. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This is Paul saying the same thing. Being confident of this very thing. He that begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Same thing that he's saying uh, back here to the Corinthian church. Look at, look at, you say, well, that's just Paul's opinion. Okay, well, let's go to 1 Peter. Here's Peter writing, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and one that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Who are kept by your faithfulness? By your good works? No. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Same words, same thing. We're kept by the power of God through faith. You can be confident that the that the, the good work that Jesus has begun in you, He will complete it all the way through to the end. And you can be confident, what Paul is telling the Corinthian church is you can be confident at the end when you stand before God that you will be blameless because of the blood of Jesus Christ Amen. and not because of anything else. So in these first nine verses, Paul establishes his apostleship. Paul lets them know that he is writing to not only to them, but to all the churches. And he says, you're sanctified in Christ. You're called to be saints. You've got grace. You've got every gift you need to be mature. And on the day you stand before God, you're going to be blameless because of Jesus. That's good news. Amen. And that's where Paul's encouragement ends. That's the end of the encouraging. Nine verses of encouraging. Fifteen and a half chapters of chastisement. <laughs> That's the exact opposite of the way the church is today. One out of every twenty verses may be something that, that about our character and how we need to live. Or one out of every twenty sermons 
And then, and then the other 19 sermons are just about how wonderful we all are. Yeah. And that don't do us any good. Yeah. When there's problems, we get them fixed. Amen? Amen. And he's going to begin to teach and he's going to begin to work in their hearts and write things in the hopes that he can change their behavior. He loves them. He's confident in the God who called them. But it's time to deal with the issues. And that sin has to be dealt with. Because it's not only impacting their personal lives as believers. It's impacting their testimony in the city of Corinth. Let me share a little part of an article that I read. Give us some perspective, I hope. Listen to this. This is good news because sometimes in my mind I build up the early church as being perfect. But listen. The church was not perfect in the New Testament times. Neither is it perfect today. The same sins that Paul exposes in 1st and 2nd Corinthians are present and evident in evangelical churches today. And so Paul's words of admonition and correction are as applicable to us today as they were to the saints in his day. Now this is the part I really want you to hear, okay? This paragraph. We deceive ourselves if we think we can retreat within the church walls to escape the evils of the world. Amen. The book of Corinthians reminds us that the world too easily and very quickly finds its way into the church. The church is not a place where we go to escape from sin. It is the place where we go to confront our sin. Amen. Now hear that again. I'm going to read it again. The church is not a place where we go to escape from sin. It's the place where we go to confront our sin and to stir each other up in love and good works. Amen. The church is not a Christian clean room where we get away from sin. It's a hospital where we find healing and mercy through the ministry of the Word and prayer. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's the way we need to look at church. We need to, what we need to see in Corinthians is a church can be troubled. A church can have problems. A church is never going to be perfect. God's still going to love the church. When we come to church, we're not trying to escape. You're not going to escape the world of the church because there's a bunch of people in here who are still carnal. Yeah. Me included at times. Amen. Now, let's read, start in verse 9. Let's read 9 through 17. I'll end at 17 today. Don't worry, it's not verse by verse, 9 through 17. <laughs> God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Paul's household, Paul called them right out, that there are contentions among you, now I say this, that each of you says, I am a Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of 
Paul, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. <laughs> now I started in verse 9 again. I read it again because I wanted to show you a word that I didn't touch on earlier, which is fellowship. The fellowship, God has called us into the fellowship of His Son. What does the word fellowship mean? Literally, fellowship means to share a common life together. So we're called to share our lives together with others who have been saved by Jesus Christ. And that's important because really in these first four chapters of Corinthians, what you're going to see Paul dealing with is the biggest issue that they face. He has to get this issue taken care of before he can take care of the other ones. And that big issue is division and contention. Their sins, their failures, their arguments are breaking up their fellowship. They are things that are keeping them from sharing their lives together and enjoying their lives together. And there are things that are keeping them from being a light to unbelievers and, uh, and, and to being a testimony in the world. So Paul says this. He says, I am pleading with you in verse 10. I plead with you by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm coming to you because, and this is important. I've said that a lot. I'm coming to you because that's whose name you're impacting. That's whose name you're hurting with your divisions. Your divisions are not just causing problems for each other or to the church. It's causing problems to the name of Jesus Christ in the world. When there is division in a church that does not get dealt with, the testimony of Christ in the world is negatively impacted every time. Amen. Every time. That's why Paul says, I plead with you that there be no divisions among you. None. When we're divided as a body, what happens is one little group says this, one little group says that, one little group says this, and they unfortunately, they don't say it to each other. They say it to other people. <laughs> they don't go talk to each other. Instead, what they do is they'll go out and say it to their family or their kin or their friends who go to a different church. And they'll start venting about the divisions in the church and why they don't like this or they don't like that. Or this thing's going on, that's going on, and how it's all. And what happens is is that the testimony, not only of the church, but of Christ, as unbelievers hear you talking about, how difficult it is for you to get along with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and how divided you are, they think, why would I want to be a part of this? Mm -hmm. <coughs> why would I want to be a part of a church that can't even get along with each other? Yeah. Amen? Amen? It happens. That's why Paul says, no divisions among you. Have the same mind. Have the same judgment. What does that mean? What's he talking about? The same mind and the same judgment. We can't all think exactly the same all the time. But what he's saying is he's talking about their standards, their practice, their doctrine. 
have the same have the same standards, have the same practices, have the same doctrines. Listen, those are dirty words in the culture we live in. But as Christians, we're called to a standard. Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. We're called to move up. God never reduces His standards to please people. Sin is a great example. Sin is a great example. Well, God could have looked at the world and said, hmm, they're really struggling with this no sin. So I'm just going to say, anybody that commits ten sins or less can enter in. No, they didn't, they didn't, well, alright, they're struggling with the ten, maybe fifty sins or less. But God didn't lower His standard. The standard was to get to heaven, no sin. Right? God didn't lower it because we struggled with it. Instead, God saw that we had to have a sacrifice for our sins. Now, our sins were going to have to be paid for from somebody besides us because we couldn't work it out. So Christ, from the beginning before time, was appointed to die for sins. But God didn't lower His standard. And He never will. Listen, this is hard, but we need to know it. It is not okay for everyone in the church to believe whatever they want. Mm -hmm. To act however they want. Especially in regards to essential doctrine. It's not okay. When it comes to church practice and essential doctrine, in other words, to how we live and what we believe, it's not okay for everybody to believe what they want to. A healthy church is on the same page. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yeah. A healthy church is on the same page doctrinally and in Christian lifestyle. In other words, they agree on what the Scripture says and how they're called to live out those Scriptures. Amen. Now let me show you another verse, another Scripture that kind of verifies that. We're about to get done, so, so you're getting dangerously close. Romans chapter 16. <clears throat> Now I urge, I'm sorry, verses 17 through 20. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses. Mark those that cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. That division and offense was caused by different doctrines. He said, mark those and, 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 and know those and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. They serve their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Yeah. Now listen to this verse and there's a key word. It's the third word in the verse. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore I'm glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good, simple concerning evil, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. What was the division? Some had begun teaching and believing a different doctrine. And it was impacting their, their ability to be obedient to the truth. So Paul said, mark those who don't believe the truth and avoid them. They're not serving God. To the Corinthians, he's saying this. Don't become divided in your doctrine. 
Don't allow yourselves to be divided. Don't allow people to pervert the truth. No matter how much you love them. Don't allow people to pervert the truth. Maybe a better way to say it is Paul's encouraging them to know the truth, to believe the truth, and to obey the truth. Amen. Together. Together. Paul is being super clear here. We should believe the same truth. We should obey the same truth. We should trust in the same truth. It's important that we know our doctrine, what we believe. Let me tell you something that shouldn't happen. Someone comes up to you and says, now listen, this, this, uh, this may have happened to you. This may be one of those spots where you say, well, I don't like that. But somebody comes up to you and they say, now, what does your church believe about this or that? What does your church believe about this? And you answer and say, well, the church believes this, but now I believe. That's a division of Okay, there's a division there. If you don't believe what the church believes, listen, that's not to say that, 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 that you're wrong and the church is right or the church is wrong and you're right or anything else. But if you don't believe what the church believes, you should be talking to the leaders and the teachers of that church to show them their error or to be corrected in yours. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen? Amen? That's just that simple. If I stand up here and preach something and you say, and you say, well, I don't believe that. Do me the courtesy, the, lo the loving thing to do is to come to me after and say, you said this, I don't believe that, I believe this. Amen. And then we talk about it and if I'm wrong, I'll repent. If you're wrong, you repent. And then we walk away unified. Amen. Because here's the fact. you got to know this. The Spirit is not divided. Nope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. The Spirit is not divided in truth. Listen, the basis of truth isn't what I believe or what you believe, but what the Bible says. Amen? Amen? So we've got to be able to go back to there. And Paul gives them an example of, of one of the problems they're having, and he says, some of you guys are going around saying, well, Paul baptized me, so obviously I'm in better shape than you. I'm more spiritual because Paul got me. And others said, well, Paul's not here. Paul is the pastor now. I'm more spiritual because of Paul's baptizing me. <laughs> others were saying, well, now, wait a minute. Steve was baptized me, and he was one of the first ones. And others were saying, well, wait a minute. I, I, I am with Christ. And they were having the spiritual warfare. Who was the most spiritual? <laughs> and none of them were spiritual. And, and, and so Paul said, stop the madness. Stop it. Is Christ divided in the sanctions of Paul and Apollos and Cephas? He said, was, was Paul crucified for your sins? What good does it do if Paul baptized you? Was Apollos crucified for your sins? What good does that do? What, did, did Cephas die for your sins? When, when you were baptized, did you confess with your mouth the Lord Paul? Did you confess with your mouth the Lord Cephas? Did you confess with your mouth the Lord Apollos? No, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Amen. Paul was pointing them back to Christ. He was saying, it's not who baptized who, it's not who says what, 
Next week we'll pick up in verse 18 and maybe make it through the chapter. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see as we get going. But we'll pick up in verse 18 and we'll go from there and we'll see what happens. That means you can go back and read what we read today and you can read ahead for next week so that you know what's going on. Amen? Amen. And do that, please. Read. Read. You know where we're going to be? Read. See what you get out of it. You go back and you say, well, Bill, I've been reading Corinthians and all that stuff you had, that's good, but let me tell you what I got out of it. And I want to hear that too. Because this is a living word. It's going to speak to you in your situation the way it speaks to me in mine. Amen? Let me ask you, as we bow our heads for a moment, do you want a better knowledge of the Word? Do you want humility in spirit? Do you desire to be obedient to the truth? Do you need the faith? Do you want this altar? If you want the altar, come. Come pray. You say, God, the things we talked about today, I want for me. Amen. 